You may be seated, please. Greetings from the Lord's people in Boise, Idaho. Donna and I, we travel all over the western half of the U.S. In fact, we've put uh, almost two million miles on a series of cars since 1990. So this is kind of like being in our front yard as far as the commute goes. Mary came to the tomb to pray. She saw the stone had been rolled away. She cried, they've taken my Lord away. And I know not where they've laid him. To her side a stranger came. She knew him not, he spoke her name. She saw it was he who'd suffered mortal pain. And she cried, my Lord, it's you. Away she ran, bursting forth with joy, like a fountain in morning sun, with news for eleven broken men who had followed him along the dusty roads. Dare they hope again to see their Lord? Eleven hid behind locked doors in fear of the persecution sword. In their midst came the risen Lord, saying, Blessed peace be with you. See these hands, this wounded side. See your Lord, the crucified. Thomas said, I will not believe till I feel his scars with my hands. The Lord reached out to his child of doubt, saying, Thomas, feel now my wounds. My Lord, my God, the doubter cried to his risen Lord, whose holy source had bled for him and for us all. He told them, go throughout the world with the holy scroll of truth unfurled in mighty power unparalleled, bringing life to dying men. He ascended high over Galilee till their mortal eyes could no longer see. Lingering still were his parting words, for lo, I am with you. Always, even unto the end of the earth. There's power in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus speaks as surely as the blood of Abel declared guilt and condemnation to his slayer, Cain. The blood of Jesus cries out mercy, forgiveness, relationship. And it's so important to, at heart level, have an abiding, growing, rooted revelation of the testimony of the blood and to add our voice that is our blood-based testimony relative to our blood-bought reality and speaking from a committed life, the devil is no match for that as indeed, according to the book of Revelation, they, the redeemed, overcame him with the blood of the Lamb, their commensurate word of their testimony from a place of not loving their own lives, but rather being given over to him from a base of commitment 
and revelatory understanding of the blood of Jesus to declare that confession of what our heart has perceived. The Lord pounces on that with power, wonder-working power, and there's truly wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Now, it's important we understand that at heart level and not just head level and not just as a matter of religious jargon. Pastor Jack Hayford told a story some time back. It was in the beginnings of the charismatic movement in the late 60s. And there was a tremendous transfusion of the reality of Pentecost that began to invade churches that a lot of which hadn't had a legacy or Pentecostal histories. Very interesting time. In fact, we're approaching a similar epoch and of, of epic proportions. But the young pastor, who was fairly newly spirit-filled himself, was overseeing the service. And all of a sudden, from a rear row to his right, there was this blood-curdling, demonic shriek. And a lady on the front row, not knowing what else to do, but quick on the draw with what she was used to do, stood up, waved her Bible, and said, Get, and began to say, The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. And the louder she said, The blood, the blood, the blood, the louder the shriek got. And somehow the pastor, bless his heart, had the grace to bring things into a controlled crash landing to where nobody was too terribly hurt. And they were able to sort of walk away with it, shaking their heads. And yet he retreated into his study for the debriefing and, and revelation education that is awfully ours, often ours in leadership when we have just dealt with a situation that we're not used to. God's very patient, persevering, penetrating in that way. And began to share with him the importance of having a revelation of the truth of the blood at heart level. Our heart is our depths. That's how we truly perceive, believe, what deeply motivates us. And our spirit is our new creaturehood, which is perfect. It is birthed into complete perfection as sons and daughters standing in judicial perfection. Our heart starts out there, but it can wander. It can get religious over here and start condemning us and get over into our intellect or soul realm and, um, and begin to rake us over the coals and flagellate us with our own legalistic lash. But as our spirit is fed with the inhalation of the breath of God's presence and the substance of his word and it's flexed in praise, our heart rallies to where our treasure is. Didn't Jesus say that? Wherever your heart is or your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So a key is feeding our spirit and then as Paul says, be strengthened in the inner man that the eyes of our heart would receive revelation knowledge and we would grow in an understanding of the operation of God's truth at heart level. And as we do, the declaration of our lips has tremendous power attached to it with our mouth and our heart being faith-filled. And uh, now we've prostituted that in the past and just reduced it to an intellectual level to where we knew it up here and we're spewing it a mile a minute and all it did was underscore sickness symptoms and magnify anxieties and we walked away thinking, well, this stuff doesn't work. <laughs> but God does work. And as he works in us to will and to do his good pleasure and our hearts are soft and supple to receive revelation of the operation of his word, and we give it declaration. He who watches over his word to perform it pounces on it with liberating, wonder-working power. The blood of Jesus, for one thing, says, attests, testifies to the fact that God is sacrificially, extravagantly, generous beyond proportionate loving. That's the testimony and statement of the blood. And further says that you and I are extravagantly, generously, sacrificially loved. And anything we hear to the contrary of that, whether it's out of our own flesh, whether it's out of the world system that tries to coerce us with seduction and intimidation, 
or whether it's from the accuser out of the pit himself, our declaration is to be the blood of Jesus. I can say, you know, I sense the encroachment of that lie. I don't buy it. I put the blood of Jesus between me and that, and the lie dissipates. There's power in the blood. Here's an illustration. A lot of years ago, this was before 1990, uh, we, my wife and I have been primarily itinerant since 1990, but before that we were pastoral. And we actually pastored in Salt Lake City for a season back in the 80s. I pastored a four-square church there. And there was a couple that came up from California that was just such a blessing. Jack and Bobby Lucas. Jack and Bobby. Jack was a construction uh, superintendent of executive proportion and had been sent up from a big company in California to oversee a project here and just had a servant's heart. I mean, he was your go-to guy. He could uh, just organize a team of guys and knew how to pat them on the back and direct them and lead with a smile. And Bobby was this effervescent encourager, just um, uh, kind of patented California blonde. She looked a lot like Goldie Hawn. Still does to this day, as a matter of fact. And I remember they overheard us one day saying we'd like to learn to ski. You know, we were up at the Wasatch, and so the church bought skis for us, and we were, at that point, between a rock and a hard place. We had to learn. <laughs> so Jack had been an instructor at Tahoe, and he took me up to Brighton. And, you know, we were at the base of that mountain there, folks, and I could see... Looked like people, two, two-legged ants on two-by-fours coming down the face of the mountain. And when you're looking straight on, I mean, it looks insane. And inside, I'm thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> Jack says, Dick, it's okay. And he began to describe and teach me. I had seen how he would work with a team of men. You know, we went up to the top. He taught me to get off the lift without being a road hazard and taught me the snowplow at first. And then he began to say, now... I'm going to draw uh, kind of some, some lines here. It's like this. It's in principle like this. With your weight on your outside ski of the turn, you carve an arc. You've got little weight on here. You carve an arc. And as you bend, your skis come around. And he says, let me illustrate. He began to do it backwards. And I began to follow him. And then he began to whip around and say, now ski in my tracks. And the next thing you know, I was skiing. Now, I couldn't ski as well as Jack Lucas in five lifetimes because Jack was king of the hill. About the time I thought he was a supernatural athlete, we went golfing. He was worse than me, <laughs> and I'm not really very good. Jack passed away here about a year and a half ago, and they had moved back down to California at the time, and they had been dear friends. Bobby continues to be very close to us. And, folks, it is very important to have good, close friends in the several. They keep your vision confirmed, checked, and balanced. They keep your feet on the ground in authenticity so you can walk toward where you're going. Too many close relationships can kill you, but too few can, can also be detrimental. And the Lord has given us the balance of marvelous prayer partners and close confidants over the years. And Jack and Bobby were certainly among them. So Bobby called and asked if I would officiate at the service. And I did. And I told a lot of the stories that uh, were kind of Jackisms. And we just had a great time in celebrating his life together. But we would often check in to see how she was doing. And uh, she was handling it like a trooper. It wasn't easy. There was an honest valley of grief from losing the love of her life. The Lord began to turn it into a memory bank and begin to give her vision for the next phases of her life. But I remember one day I called her, and she's like a little sister to me, and she said, Dick, Jack had left me some money set aside to get a new car. And she said, I got this. It's a smaller Lincoln SUV. I got a peach of a deal on it. And she began to describe it to me, and I was rejoicing for my sister. And then my eyes slipped down and looked at the odometer on what I was driving, the CRV that had well over 200,000 miles on it. And I could just hear the hiss of the enemy saying, man, 
he sure likes that gal a lot better than he loves you. Look at what you're driving and look at what she's driving. You know, just those subtle, stupid kind of little sidle up to you sort of things. They're not so much onslaughts as they are sniper shots. And I thought, I'm not buying this. I'm going to rejoice with my sister's new car. And I immediately said, I put the blood of Jesus between the lie that said God is less than loving and caring toward me. And it was just like it poof, like demon dust and it dissipated. It was gone. And the Lord said, you know what? Your car runs well. It's paid for. I got another one waiting for you in the wings. We'll be getting that soon, by the way. And he says, and it's going to be on. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. God's love is sacrificial. It is extravagant. The blood of Jesus said he poured out the very best in the giving us of his son. Celebrate the love. Receive it and release it. And don't buy the lie that would say anything to the contrary. It could have been the hauntings and hammerings of rejection that you were raised with. Things you went through at school. Something that you're going through at work now where the testimony of the enemy and perhaps even your own overperforming flesh is flagellating you. Lord, we put the blood of Jesus, we declare the love of God and we bask and we receive it. Sometimes it amazes me how strong the power of your love can be. Sometimes you just Take my breath away. You watch my love grow as a child, sometimes gentle, sometimes wild. Sometimes you just take my breath away. Too good to slip by, too good to lose, too good to be there just to use. Gonna stand up. On a mountain top and tell the news that you take my breath away. Sometimes it amazes me how strong the power of your love can be. Sometimes you just Take my breath away. You watch my love grow as a child, sometimes gentle, sometimes wild. Sometimes you just take my breath away. And when I feel your eyes on me, your beauty is all I see. Don't you know? It takes my breath away. Too good to slip by, too good to lose. Too good to be there just to use. Gonna stand up on a mountain top and tell the news that you. Take my breath away. Personal word, and there'll be some. Edification to build up, exhortation to stir up, consolation to soothe. Anything with prophetic implication is to be tested. Set beside the statement of Scripture, borne witness to by the Spirit, I submit it to pastoral authority here. It's for the purpose of primary encouragement. My brother, we're making eye contact. We're wearing dark. You're wearing a dark T-shirt. You have a beard. What's your first name? Troy. Lord's brought you through a difficult journey, Troy. Jesus is giving you a marvelous revelation of Abba Father, Daddy Lord, who is your daddy too. Tracking with you. He's seen some of the staggered miles that you've labored under with just the burden on your back, chains that had been attached to your feet. But you're a man after God's own heart. There's a tenacity and a desire and a fire after God. 
And Daddy Lord loves that about you. I can see him showing a snapshot around in the throne room right now. Says, that's my boy Troy there. Coming along in step with his song. Turning a corner into a new season of liberation. Blast from the past being silenced. The blood of Jesus says you are extravagantly, generously loved by your Father in heaven. Takes delight in you. You give me songs in the night till the morning light breaks in on me. And the darkness gives way to the light of the day you promised I'd see. Meanwhile, with a smile, in the dark I hearken to your voice and rejoice at the sound of your song in the night. Sweet song. And rejoice at the sound of your song in the night. Now Jesus is here and his spirit so sweet, moving among us and washing our feet. Each new breath we're breathing now seems to repeat. Jesus is here right now. Jesus is here and he's touching each mind, freeing us now from the thoughts that would bind. Hey, open your heart and I'm sure you will find Jesus is here right now. What is your name right here? Sherry, a prophetic pulse in you. Just an intuitiveness to the voice of the Lord within you. An ability to sense where people are at and to speak to them where they're at. It's kind of like an arrow that says, you are here and God knows it and loves you and is able to lead you forward. Sitting next to Sherry is Kelly. Intensely practical. You think like an engineer, kind of cause and effect. And yet there is just a salt of senior wisdom that comes with it, an ability to counsel in a very patriarchal, tender kind of way. So it's been and so it'll be. What's your name? Bailey. Bailey. An effervescence, a radiance, the water of life that comes forth from you like Perrier. Sparkles in the lights. There's a song in your heart that at times would soar like the eagle and perch like a dove in someone's heart. Sitting next to Bailey is McCall, spirit of adventure. One who marches to a different drummer, but you have found your rhythm section in the orchestra of the redeemed in your steps. An unusual way of saying things, creative speech. Ah, and there's poetry in your soul. It's just kind of an affirmation and an underscoring of encouragement, evocation, exhortation, and comfort. And sometimes it happens like that, like pearls on a strand. The blood of Jesus says we have forgiveness of sins. Our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, and we step into the reality of that as soon as we step into Jesus. Now, that's our judicial perfection of our spirit that we stand in the light of with the Lord. There's times at the point of our walk we'll step in some poop in the pasture. And we need to get our feet washed and need to have that which is ours on eternal deposit of withdrawal and the water of the word applied to our feet. We will have contamination through stepping into sin. But there is no legal 
condemnation that can be leveled at us. Condemnation is a grinding under the thumb that renders worthless and, and powerless and headed toward no good but a death sentence. That's condemnation. There's now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We have forgiveness of sins. And it's very important that we recognize that. Some of us here, we're haunted and hammered by past foul-ups that keep reoccurring and the enemy forms a lash on our back and it becomes a pharaoh of condemnation that drives us this way and that way. With some, we have collided through misjudgments with crass reality, have inner bruises, internal bleeding, and the enemy uses that to rub coarse sandpaper of condemnation over it. We need to break that in the name of Jesus and say, Lord, you are my rear guard. I have forgiveness of sins. I refuse to be condemned by my imperfections, my sins, small, medium, and large. Lord, I gladly embrace your correction and the cleansing of the, condom or the uh, contamination that I walk in. But I thank you that I don't have to buy into that grinding, thumb-pressing judgment that comes out of hell, religiosity, and a world that's constantly looking over our shoulders and red-penciling our performance. There is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Give you another little illustration. <clears throat> we are we've been through the last oh, three and a half years in a litigation proceeding. We recently won, uh, and it was. But let me tell you, it's not a culture you want to enter into if you can avoid it. When you get lawyers and insurance companies going at it, uh, it can it, it can be a nasty arena. And it was of a necessity, given this particular situation, that we get a lawyer. And let me tell you, I, I'll just be honest with you. I did flat out did not like him at first. I found his speech condescension, his personality very abrasive, and just very arrogant in his demeanor, and kind of looking down his nose at us in some ways at knowing nothing, which, of course, we didn't know anything about this kind of a thing. And he and I had a couple of headbutting sessions in some of the appointments that we had there. And I remember one in particular to where the air got pretty frigid. And, um, you know, I'm fairly good at crafting word weaponry. He was, he was good at it. And so we, we were doing some pretty good infighting there. And on the way home, Donna turned to me. She was driving to the traffic light. He says, honey, she said, I have almost never seen you be so combative. And I, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, be angry and sin not. Well, the Lord said, you did sin. You devalued him with a hearty dislike and saw him less than valuable. The blood says he's valuable. Got so much to, to die for by the king of kings. And I said, Lord, you're right. I just received your correction. And I just confess and acknowledge that. But I further confess that I have the forgiveness of that. And Lord, I just received the washing of my soul feet from the contamination. And five minutes from then, I hardly could even remember the incident. You know, that's how good at erasing things God is. And I thought, well, I'll get a rematch because we're going to have an appointment with him the, the following month. And I said, Lord, thank you for doing a work of grace in my heart, of seeing this individual through your eyes as someone that you value <clears throat> and that Christ died for, and just help that to be demonstrated through my attitude and my vocabulary. And it was interesting in the appointments that began to follow, he really began to open up to us. And the last appointment we had, uh, just before this thing went into mediation and soon consummation, he turned to me and he said, Dick, you know, I wouldn't say this to another client of mine, but I've just been diagnosed 
with some serious cancer. It's a tumor they've discovered. They can't remove it because it could bust and just broadcast uh, just cancerous material all over my body. He says, you know me, I'm a warrior, been in military, been an athlete. I'm not looking for a pity party. He said, I'm looking for prayer warriors. I didn't even know he had that vocabulary. He said, I've been getting back into my roots and looking at the Bible of Jesus who heals. And he says, that's what I want to see happen. And I looked at him and called him by name. And I said, sign us up. We're your prayer partners. And I said, could we pray for you right now? He was a little awkward because I could tell he was not used to that. But just the spirit-directed prayer, and I could see how the spirit was falling upon him and how he looked at me afterwards and grasped my hand for several seconds of saying, now that was a prayer. That was a prayer. There was a relationship that had been turned, an attitudinal change in my heart, the Lord's hands reaching forth toward our lawyer, beginning to turn him toward the king himself. It had been a situation to where there had been a sin of resentment on my part, but a refusal to accept the condemnation of it, drawing the line of the blood of Jesus between the condemnation, the attempts at the enemy that would have tried to haunt and hang on like a leech and drain the life out of me. Praise the name of the Lord. The blood of Jesus says we have forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. What's your name right here? Rick is authentic. There's not a smidgen of religious polyester about him. You've had some times in your past when you could have croaked, but the Lord was there to head it off at the pass and do what only he could do, Rick, and keep you for such a time as this. You're going to speak to those that might seem light years away from the kingdom, but the Lord's going to give you audience with them. And at times it'll be kind of an in-your-face grace with it, but you'll get down and, and you'll say, Here's my testimony. Been there, done that. The Lord was there for me, and he's brought me to here. No baloney in Rick's testimony. That's why Rick makes the devil sick. He hates authenticity. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, God's good. Praise the Lord. What is your name right here? Is it again? Jerry. Jerry. Jerry, you just got a matter-of-fact kind of congeniality about you, non-threatening. You can say things in a simple kind of way that people buy into. You know, you're a, kind of a solitudinal guy in a lot of ways. But the Lord likes that because it's not an aloneness. It's kind of a come apart. And he'll sidle up to you and speak to you sometime through nature and sometime just kind of out of the blue. But I saw you there at times, a guy just drawing nuggets from the stream and putting them in just kind of simple, down-home kind of statements with an ability to, to bless people and turn things around for them. There's a, there's a congeniality about you that folks are drawn to, that can open up to, that they feel safe. And that's a gift in and of itself. Now, a lot of times these words will bounce from... Someone here, like lightning over to another lightning rod across the room, and the Lord will give you a dynamic ditto and say, you also. So take it and make it your own. Don't say, Jerry got chicken and I got bones. <laughs> hey, sometimes in the night watch of my room, on my back I lie. And stare at my ceiling. I see his cross up there, crown of thorns in his hair. You know, it melts my stubborn will and sets me to kneeling. Then there's a glow that I feel within my room. Like a friendly fire one feels on a chilly day. Over me he stands, soothes my wounds with a nail-scarred hands. 
Big strong hands Once plied a carpenter's trade Then I say Lord I want to be like you Like a little boy Wants to be like his father Says, child, follow me. I'll show you things you never dreamed you'd see. You know I'm warm, I'm real. You can give yourself to me. In the night watch of my room. Blood of Jesus attached or attests to the fact that by his stripes we're healed. Praise the name of the Lord. A couple of years ago when we were scheduled to minister in Haley, Idaho, that's near Sun Valley area, and the church was putting on this massive nativity pageant using real animals. I mean, they'd had a whole menagerie of camels and sheep and donkeys and, you know, you name it all the, the biblical animal hosts that were there and the full costume, I mean, the costumes were professionally done. And my particular role was to be the narrator. You know, I'd done some of that back in the day. There was a time when I'd been in radio um, back when, you, you know, you had to kind of do it all and found out radio wasn't my cup of tea. They liked what I did vocally, but trying to remember all of that stuff being multitask. I'd sometime let it slip by me, and the cardinal sin in radio is dead air when nothing's going out into radio land. And my nickname at KHOF Los Angeles became Dead Air Dick, and I thought, <laughs> not much of a future there. <laughs> but I did. You know, I did a, a couple of voiceovers and some, a couple of grade B movies and um, some narratives and musicals, and so they had asked me to do this, and it featured a a solo to sing. So we were standing out there in the cold there in Haley, Idaho, and it gets cold in Haley, Idaho. Just prior, the day before we were to head out, both of our kids, our youngest son and his wife, who live with us, got leveled with the flu. And I mean, they had to lay you out for two weeks brand of it. And I began to get the symptoms. And this would have been the Friday night we were supposed to uh, leave and to do a rehearsal on Saturday, a dress rehearsal Saturday night. I was going to do the service on Sunday at Life Church there in Haley. And then we would actually have the presentation on Sunday night. And I remember just by naked faith getting in the car. I mean, my voice had about, my range was probably about three notes. And just gravelly feeling of flu symptoms, you know, the fever, just the poundings of that. And remember of just saying, I put the blood of Jesus between me and that. By his stripes, I'm healed. I lay hold of that. Lord, I see the blood flowing from your back, the lash that's laid upon it. And as the thorns were pressed upon your hair to see the blood moving down the furrows of your face, and Lord, I declare that by your stripes we're healed and all that the blood has provided, your resurrection life enforces. I'll say that again. All your blood has provided, your resurrection life enforces. The operational grace that connects us with all that has already been set in motion, which is by faith. And let me tell you, it was by naked faith. Sometimes faith is confident steps forward. Sometimes it's baby steps. This was more like a spastic stagger. <laughs> they didn't have an understudy, a backup, you know, for me to do this thing. And um, so I began to pray. And that night, I, you know, I took cold medicine to deal with the symptoms. I wasn't going to get legalistic about it. But I could sense the summoning of my immune system. He who raised Jesus from the dead will quicken our mortal body by the same spirit within us begin to contest that thing 
I didn't get a lot of sleep, but when I woke up, most of the symptoms were gone. I had enough of my vocal capacities to go and to use by faith at the dress rehearsal, and I was amazed at how well it went. And let me tell you, by the time the PM service was going on, I was in fighting trim. And I won't tell you, we live in a fallen world. It's disease-ridden, and there's times when all of us have been casualties. I'm not going to tell you I win every battle. But since I have been resolute in recognizing that it is God's will to heal, that it has been provided, it's already on deposit to make a withdrawal from, to declare in accord with what the blood of Jesus has provided for us, I'm winning a whole lot more. And this was a wonderful victory in the way this went. But I can recall with a raspy voice just saying, I put the blood of Jesus between myself and the tsunami of this flu encroachment that is trying to envelop me and did it and did it during the night when I would wake up and praise the name of the Lord. It came into manifestation in accord with the declaration of healing that was based on the revelation of what the blood has provided. Praise the name of the Lord. You are forgiven. You who once broke his heart, stood worlds apart, now shed a serpent's skin and receive a brand new robe. You are forgiven. The devil played his song. You once danced right along. But when the dance was through, he left you broken and alone. Enter the one who loved you from afar. You then received his song that filled your heart and thrilled your heart. Now you are forgiven. Your heart no longer bleeds. And as you dance, he leads, and you are righteous through the one who gave his life for you. Now you're free, you're clean to walk in holy power. The blood of Jesus declares that you and I are righteous. He looks at us through the hue of the rose-colored lens of the Lamb and the perfect performance of the perfect one on our behalf. And as we embrace the gift of the righteousness that is by grace, we step into that sphere and in the now and here, no longer judge, he lays down his gavel and looks at us as daddy Lord. Jesus with his arm surrounding us and his voice rattles the heavens. Bombastic, basso profundo. You are righteous. You are righteous through the performance of my son. And as we embrace that fact of his grace and lay aside our religiosity, our lawlessness, and say, Lord, just in simple childlike gratitude, I receive and recognize the gift of your righteousness by grace through the performance of the perfect one on my behalf, who fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law, every mandate and directive of the Holy Spirit, and I receive the gift of your imputed right being, right standing, right thinking, and see my bankrupt moral accounts paid, paid in full, stamped in red. We embrace that fact. It begins to be a force as the spirit of righteousness rises in us. That is, his moral excellence rises as a force. The fact becomes a force. You know, I saw that very early on in my Christian walk and let religious people suffocate it out of me. They said, that's too simple. The fact becoming a force, an empowerment under righteous living, it is an operation, and we give our cooperation of obedience, saying, Lord, I just wrap my heart around the sight and sound of that and yield, and I move with the flow and momentum of your moral excellence, 
And as we do, the fruit of righteousness is formed in our character. And as we do, we find an ability to see situations to where hell has been invasive and the Lord wants to usurp that with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his righteousness, things set in order where they ought to be. It can be things in our family, things in our life, things in our employment setting. And we begin to declare the righteousness of God as God's kingdom order would invade chaos. His kingdom joy would invade misery. His kingdom health would invade situations of disease. Sometimes it's repetitive battering rams that hit those gates of hell, but eventually they will and do collapse, just like Jesus said they would, and the whole series of them will. Now that's a manifold truth of righteousness. It is a fact tested through the blood through Calvary's act which becomes a force and an operation of his moral excellence, we give our cooperation of obedience, which is righteousness. We have the fruit of character of righteousness that's formed in the flow of that, and we become agents, kingdom ambassadors, to declare and mandate the invasion of heaven invading earth as the order and purity of God would invade the chaos and corruption of man. That's righteousness. That's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And praise the Lord. And we often need to recognize that we are initiated into that through the blood of Jesus. And when we drift from it and we get our conscience polluted with dead works or evil works, you know, those work in coalition. Religiosity will provoke the flesh in all its lawlessness. Deviating off into its lawlessness, there's a temptation to cover it with dead works. If we get out in the North 40 of God knows where, He knows where, and He says, Hey, I'm here and I still love you. Come boldly before my throne and allow me to purge your conscience with the sprinkling of the blood that's already been shed and renew you to the fact of the forgiveness and righteousness that you have through my grace and enjoy again basking in the light of my face. Hallelujah. So if you're out in the North 40 or somewhere, God knows where, and it, it's like the prodigal son. You know, he's got his whole spiel rehearsed on what a louse and a worm he is, and the father sees him and runs and, and embraces him with kisses before he can even get it out of his mouth. Our gracious, forgiving, loving God, and the angels applaud in ovation as one returns and repents. Praise the name of the Lord. Turn in a corner here. Oh, Jesus, take me. Make me what you would have me to be. Lord, cause me to see who I am in you. Your voice awakens me with the cry of the eagle you've spoken to me, stirring my sleep, deep calls to deep, and I hear the Son of God now rises in my heart, drying the veil of tears from generations past. Cobwebs of lies that seemed like walls now break apart. Before the king's decree, a searing blast. Into sweet morning, blossom wide the once closed petals of my soul, reflecting the gold of your crowning love. I'm risen with you On the wings of the wind of your spirit I soar You've silenced that roar Of accusation within I rise on your wings Your Holy Ghost wins The blood of Jesus says that 
covenant has been activated through the death of the testator. Covenant life, life in common with the king himself, life that is pure, powerful, all-conquering, all-prevailing, and learning the art of the heart of moment by moment. On him we rely. The gravity of the world, the flesh, and the devil is defied. Not only have we received the grace of deliverance from sin's penalty, but from its power through the powerful life of him who works in us. And try it sometime. There may be a particular area of vulnerability, an area that seems like a vacuum as far as victory is concerned. And it's usually because we're trying to keep the whole law on our own. And it's a one thing that there's a failing in. And the Lord says, take that area of weakness, set it apart, invite me to take stage center in that empty stage and maestro a victory chapter in you, and I will. It could be a tendency toward a particular sin, an addictive inclination, you know, who knows, a particular oppressing fear, and to say, Lord, I recognize that your grace is bigger than that and that the all-conquering life of King Jesus Christ in me as I cast myself recklessly upon the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the gravity of that thing is going to be defied. You may bring others in to support. You may speak through a companion book to the Bible. There may be a key message. It may be just out of the blue. But Lord, I thank you that you're able to take that place that has been a cursed, repetitive loss and reverse that and make it a power pocket of victory in my life. And he'll do it. He'll do it as a demonstration of who he is. It's the life of Jesus Christ working in us. He who explained and lived the Sermon on the Mount as our example is also our enabler to walk that out in his pure, powerful life. It was life that was activated, covenant life, in union with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that was initiated by his death. The death of the testator puts a testament in force. And so it is with that. I'll finish with another little glory story here. You know, I like to do this with testimonies. And, you know, as I'm working on the word of these things, the word is working on me. And the Lord has a way of walking us into the experience and expressions of these things. And there really is an impartation of personal, uh, this means you, that comes from testimony. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That's Revelation 19 and 10. Do a little more of that this evening. But Donna and I were on a trip down to California and we had a brief layover in uh, one of the cities in the high desert. It's not one of our favorite cities. We don't care too much for the climate of it. And I picked a motel there that looked inexpensive but looked like it was clean. We were going to be there for a little while. And uh, it actually uh, it didn't even live up to expectation. And I had been battling a cold and was not in the greatest of spirits or attitude. But I was laying hold of healing, and which did occur. You know, and a couple of three days later, that did materialize, and I had the voice that I needed. Um, but it, we, we awakened that morning, and it's my job to go get the coffee. You know, she needs a long runway to get beautiful. Uh, it takes me five minutes to do with what I got, and what you see is what you get, and <laughs> no point in apologizing. Uh, so, you know, I go out pretty much as is and, and kind of ran a couple of strokes of the comb through my hair and put on my sweats. And I've got my coffee mug and hers. And I'm walking over to the office. And I pass this individual who looks rather sullen, rather kind of furrowed in the bow, in the brow. And I'm thinking, you know, I could probably say hi, but I just don't even feel up to it. So I, I walked by him. Probably should have. In retrospect, I should have. And as I am... Getting our coffee, just as I'm coming out, he's opening the door to come in, and I get there just before he does, and I, I kind of say thank you. Didn't hear me, but I said it. And I walk outside, and I hear him mutter this trail of expletives on the way in toward me. And I mean, I could tell this guy had had some practice linking together the chains of profanity in some 
profusely creative ways. Because I, I had never heard anybody take singular words, hyphenated words, and mix them in, in such a toxic concoction. And, and I stopped with my coffee and I said, excuse me, say what? And he turned around and repeated something of a watered-down version, but it was still pretty bad. And it was uh, extolling the, this cardinal offense that I had not said thank you when he'd opened the door. And I actually had. And I, in, and, and I said, Lord, I'm not going to contest this. I said, I know a number of years ago you knew what a combative little snot I was, even as a believer. I would have said, you know, sir, you seriously need to get your hearing checked, and while you're at it, you need a Lysol bath for your <laughs> vocabulary. But, uh, you know, and, and, and even after I knew better than to do that, I would have thought it and suppressed it and thought about what I should have said the rest of the day. But the Lord said, just give this over to me. He said, I who exclaimed, explained the Sermon on the Mount. A soft answer turns away wrath. Just I enable and empower you to turn the cheek on this and get victory. And I, I just felt a complete reversal of my attitude toward him. It was sympathy. And I said, sir, I did say it. You didn't hear me, but I, I will say it again. Thank you. And turned and walked away just feeling completely free, clean, and victorious. And you know what? I could sense the risenness of the Holy Spirit driving the residue of the bad cold right out of my body. There's a way in which there is a coalescing of spirit, soul, and body as we walk in the truth of God. Praise the name of the Lord. The blood of Jesus says we are extravagantly loved. The blood of Jesus says we have forgiveness of sin. The blood of Jesus says we are made in our spirit the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus says we have covenant life with him. The blood of Jesus that says the finished provision of the cross has been set into motion and all that he's provided in our total salvation through his death he enforces by his life and he's teaching us the art and the heart and the down-home humility to wrap our heart around the sight and sound and begin to reap the life that he has for us and begin to walk out who we truly are in Christ. It's a process. It's a journey. I'm a work in progress, I'll just tell you, and I'm glad to be traveling the road together there with you. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to close with what I closed with. First service. It's about coming apart, getting a fresh transfusion of the heart, Montana morning. We are from Boise, but I wrote this song in Big, Ki Big Sky Country. Another brisk Montana morning, golden glimmer has me blinking. Rising now, I hear me creaking. Down the hall I toil to the place I meet with Jesus. Feed the empty stove and arm load. Soon the room is bright with warm glow. Coffee pot is dancing. To a boil. Divine appointment, his name is just like ointment. Well, he rubs it into my needy soul. I'm worshiping my God. On my fire, the master's breathing, consuming all my fear and grieving. Inner fire is rising as he stokes it with his rod. Out my window, there I gaze, scan the morning's golden haze. Too dear bolt across the yard, the Lord renews my youth. My spirit leaps and runs with Jesus through the meadows of his kingdom, brightness of his fragrant freedom, grazing on the greatness of his truth. Divine appointment, his name is just like ointment, takes it into my needy soul, worshiping my God. On my fire, the master's breathing, consuming all my fear and grieving. Inner fire is rising as he stokes it with his rod. Inner fire is rising as he stokes it with his rod. God bless the ministry of the word to your heart and soul. May his hands massage you with the oil of it. 
anesthetize you with his mercy if he needs to perform surgery through it, but know that you are in the process of coming into the full expression of the revelation and restoration of what he's already accomplished through his finished work. It's grace in session to be appropriated by faith, and he's teaching the art of the heart of just wrapping our heart around the sight and sound of what he has said and is saying. God, continue to bless you on your journey. Pastor Seth. Sure. 